Welcome to the Diversity on the Hill podcast with Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Curcio. Here are the ground rules for our conversation. Respect one another. Openness. No assumptions allowed. Mistakes are welcome. And let's grow together. Enjoy the conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of the world, welcome to the Diversity on a Hill podcast. I think we're coming up on episode 23. 23. Wow. If you're a basketball fan, that's Michael Jordan's number. So, you know. Well, it's also LeBron's for those modern days. Okay. Yeah. It shows my age. But no. (laughs) Hey, listen to me. Jordan is still the best NBA. You know, he's the GOAT. Well, well, good. It's glad to know that, you know, still these younger kids are... You know, I'm not that much younger than you. What are you talking about? <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I mean, if you've joined us for all of these episodes, you know that that was PJ. This is PK. And for the second episode in a row, Woo! PC. What? What a treat. Yeah, so glad that she's here with us. And congratulations on 23. That's a great prime number. Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, we were. We're excited. We're we're happy. We we love doing this, and we hope you love listening. And if you have any suggestions for us, any topic ideas, anything you want to reach out to us, Curse you is going to tell us that you can reach us at diversity on a hill at gmail Diversity with the C, or on our Instagram. You diversity can reach out on to a, us there. Sorry, diversity on a hill as well. Yeah, so excited well. to just talk over you. Yeah, it's kind of like no, what we, we do. Yeah, yeah, well, it's a conversation. <laughs> it well happens done, in, in normal conversations. You do this. It's not one of our ground rules. No, no, talking talk over each other is not one, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Huh, in my if, family, if you don't interrupt each other, you don't really care about what's going on. Ooh, ooh I like that. Family. You know, it's know. just like you know, if you're not if you're not interrupting, you're not engaged. Oh, you're not, you're not paying attention. Yeah, to you. that's right. It's I like right. that. I like it. There you go. Yeah. See, we do the same in my family all the time. Well, we said we wanted PC on here more often. There you go. There we go. Yeah. I'll interrupt you anytime. There you (laughs) go. Loving it. All right. How's everyone doing? We doing okay? Oh, yeah. All right. Gearing up for the new school year. Got to do the things. Got to start thinking that way now. Wow. It's coming. It is The new semester. First first semester went all right? Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Did you have to fail anyone? Any any juicy failings? Very, 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 very few. Very few. But there were some you did. There, there, it happens. It no, happens. Not like this she year, said, did you have to do any mm-hmm. of that? She yep. said a few. Yep. <laughs> a few. You were asking one. Yeah, I was yeah. like, did you have no, to fail no, any one? No, no, it, it does. One yeah. dozen? Yeah, okay. it does. Well, I mean, it does because sometimes people stop coming to class. Oh. So it's not like high school where the law requires them to show up. Right. And if you don't come at all, like in this, this year, 2020, if you came at all, mm. like in any kind of regularity, you probably passed. Right. If you just stopped coming, there's nothing we can do about that. Like, like, like you that almost even had Zoom, to try. No, not even on Zoom. No, no. I'm talking about. You really almost had to try to fail it, this year. It, 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 I don't think people were trying to fail necessarily, but I do think people had personal lives that made it hard for them to show up. And I think coming online stuff messed with that because I think wow. it is harder if you're struggling with depression or difficulties going by. I think it's harder to to show up online it's easier just to keep sleeping if Mm. you didn't like just get up and put your clothes on and walk out the door that is so true see i had a sleeping in problem but it wasn't a depression problem (laughs) it was just a you're tired problem yeah i was just i went to bed way too late problem (laughs) that 100 percent happens obviously still yeah Yeah. i made it to most of my classes though and that was that was good 
Yeah. But I, I think most people that, that failed in my world this past year, um, it was also just mental health. It was, you know, it was just challenging. It wasn't only like what we might call quote unquote irresponsibility or time management issues. I mean, I think they were having difficulties. Look, yeah. I'll, I'll confess, like for those people who are going to school online, mm-hmm. I, I've been kudos to you. I mean, I am proud of you. I am, I mean, I am in awe of you. I would not have fun- functioned if I needed to go to school mm-hmm. online. Like even now, I'm so uh, so much a people person, mm-hmm. and I I'm in need of this method that I get the mindset, not this method. the The method is going to class, like that mm-hmm. routine, and sitting down in a classroom and listening to the lecture and listening to other people's comments. Mm-hmm. Like that dynamic helps mm-hmm. me right. actually do well in school right. because uh, I don't know if I shared this before, but um, I know there are multiple intelligences and different ways that people learn. Well, one of the ways that I learn is by listening. Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of trained indirectly by my parents to be that mm-hmm. way. Uh, when they would give me these long parts in church when I was a kid and what my parents would do is they would record the part and I would have to listen to it. Oh. And in listening to it, I memorized it and I would wow. memorize it word wow. for word. Wow. And then when they saw that I had that ability, right. They would always give me the longest parts, man. It's like what on <laughs> earth? You got punished you know? for, yeah, for doing doing well. So indirectly, I was trained into learning that way. And the reality is, it's it's wild. I don't know how it works. Right. I just know that I can go to a classroom, I can listen to a lecture, and I can That's remember great. most of that, even for a test. But there's more to it because it's not just listening. Because if you were online, you could listen as well right but it's the the mindset that i get into when i go through the process mm-hmm. of going to the class and also let's uh, let's be honest if your education involves you just listening to lectures 100 percent of the time you're not getting a good education mm-hmm. like almost always like our classes are interactive because you're doing mm-hmm. higher order thinking which means you are having to listen like you said to other people and you could if you're online read their comments like and respond to their comments but you, you what you're articulating is that's not a reading is not the best way maybe for you to learn like listening me. to each other and that's legit now what i feel like i've observed with online learning and i mean it's not scientific at all we're still learning a lot of the data but my observation is that the people who do well online are probably going to do well almost anyway in the way our modern white collar, you know, socioeconomic situation is set up in North America. No matter what they do really in school, they're probably going to be okay. And the people who really need just that little extra sort of, here's what professionalism is like in sort of, they're the ones that are mostly suffering with the online stuff. You know, the people who need any extra help with writing, mm. any extra help with anything. Like, it's just, they they just, they don't tend to. And a lot of us do better with accountability with other people. We're all getting up and going to class. Oh, we're all going to go do our homework over here. Tons of us do better. That I do better exercising if I meet other people that's to me. do it. And so that's, me. that's what I, I just think. There's people who do fine online and a lot of us that don't. But don't but don't get me wrong. Like I do read, obviously. Of course. But, you but do. the yeah. point is, for some reason, it sticks better when I hear it. Mm. So even with the Bible app, like I love listening to the guy reading it, mm. even though I'm reading it while he's. It's not just like I'm just listening to him. I'm actually like reading it as he's reading it. That's cool. And um, it just it just helps stick. I mean, well, it's well. Um, another thing that helps us learn is you say you know in, interacting with people, and once again, I feel like the genesis of this podcast mm. was to have encourage dialogue that's it to encourage conversation yeah 
especially with people you may not agree with, to learn perspectives. I found that over years, I learned a lot more by listening to one of my friends who I didn't agree with at the time. But over time, I start to think about it and, you say, oh, okay, you know. Yeah, I you mean. You start changing a little bit of the way you think, but without those conversations, I wouldn't have it's that whole It's that whole echo chamber that yeah. we're talking mm. about. If oh, yeah. you're inside of an echo mm. chamber, you're not being challenged to think. And I believe that that's part of what we're doing here. Not, I don't believe. I know this is part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it's also because we want to create thinkers. Like, we don't want to spoon feed you information and just say, hey, rely on us to make this happen. No, we want you to use the brain that God gave you and be a thinker because there's going to come a day when there isn't going to be anyone there who can speak for you. And we also want to give you the resources of, listen, go back to Scripture. Scripture is our base. Pray to God. He's the one who gives us our wisdom. And be respectful when engaging with other children of God. No way. Like yourself. <laughs> no, I'm not listening. No, never mind. And to know what I appreciate about you guys is that you're both committed Christians, Bible-believing children of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and you believe that even within that context, you can disagree about things. So like people who are genuinely, that's an important thing. I think as a young person, I definitely thought that there was, a, you know, my parents would say, you need to study your own way to scripture. But it was very clear to me that they thought if I did study scripture, I would come to the same conclusions. <laughs> that's that they had. it. And yep. so like, yep. you, know, well said, think, think, yep. you know, I think, I think, you know, it's important to know, like, actually, if you, to have it modeled that there are people who respect each other as children of God, as people that they respect spiritually and their knowledge and their practice and yet come to a different conclusion on something even using their scripture even believing their scripture yes that's that well leads said. me to a, a, a funny kind of story sure you know last week i told you i visited my mom during christmas yeah she was saying and i, I don't want to get into exactly what she was saying <laughs> but she was saying some interesting political things Ooh. that she had heard and sounded like she was parodying something that she had heard and so I just stopped and asked her, oh, really? Why is that, mom? She didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, because this is what everyone's saying. This is what all the Americans are saying. And I was like, really? Who? Who's saying that? And we, mm. I, this happened twice, actually. It happened in October when I visited her. In October, mm. she shut down. I was like, well, I just can't talk to you about it. I'm like, why not? Mm-hmm. And whatever, go we were waiting for some pizza. She's like, go get the pizza. Oh, <laughs> I think she was going to go take out the trash. Actually, <laughs> this time she was more engaged. I was wondering if because my other brother was there and she was trying to be a good example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she actually engaged more. And now it was just, it was funny because we were having this interesting conversation because I, I was just, I really was just asking her, well, where'd you hear that? Why do you believe that? Did you, did you do this? I mean, and mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was just funny. And I, it would have been a lot funnier if I could share the whole story, but I don't want to get Oh, okay. Enough. That's how I was Fair waiting. Enough. I was yeah. like, is he going to yeah, tell yeah. us? Yeah, like, I just kind of died. Uh, yeah, sorry. Okay, no. I, I don't want to throw her under the bus. <laughs> no, no, no. Or even that. myself under the bus. Because no, no, then, no. you know. No, no. But practicing how to disagree. I mean, I've definitely heard from some of my friends after family time over the holidays going, what can I give my parents to read or what can I do? And I thought, you know, that is, I mean, there are resources out there, but it is also just true that sometimes it's. We have put ourselves in such echo chambers, as you said, PK, you know, that sometimes with our families, the only time we really have to mm-hmm. practice actual, what does it mean to love someone, to genuinely respect who they are as a human being, and yet really disagree about things that are not the ultimate things of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, smaller things like, what does it look like to be an attractive um, gender normal female or male, as mm. we talked about last week, or, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. we can well disagree said. about that and that's okay. And the king, you know, within the body of Christ to say, I find this attractive and I don't, you know, that's all the right. The problem with family though, is you get a lot more annoyed with them. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the truth comes out. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and have a break here, and then we will come back with an On the Hill segment. Yeah. It's going to be a doozy. We're now on the hill. Yes, we are. What are we talking about this week, Curcio? Do you know? Do, Ooh, or do I need to bring it up? I thought you were going to have a great, spectacular intro for it. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about segregation within the Adventist church. Bum, bum, bum. So for those of you who don't know, on the East Coast, because I don't, they don't have this on the West Coast, we have wait, conferences wait, wait. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah, on the go. East Coast, <laughs> we have a conferences and a regional conferences. That's correct. So I guess one's called state conferences. I didn't know that till not long ago. And then regional conferences. The state conferences is basically the majority white conference. So the, the members, the leadership is majority white. The leadership, yes. I say even the churches, the majority of the well, churches. Yes, yes, that that too. However, um, we do have... Spanish churches. No, no, no. But I'm saying the majority, because the Spanish churches are still the minority. There isn't right. as many churches right. or as many members. Right. And now I also got to give Georgia Cumberland a shout out because they also have non-white congregations. Yeah. You know, like they have multiple congregations in the conference that are African-American or Caribbean. And then we African have what we call the regional conferences, which is... Primarily, Basically, right. primarily African-American churches. Yeah. Or we might even just say primarily black churches because they may or may not be African-American all the time. I said ma majority African-American because they uh, yeah, do yeah. have Hispanic churches and they do have Islander churches. And, right. and Asian churches. But the majority of them do tend to be African-American churches, at least my mm. encounter with them. Right. And the structure is different in the West Coast. Uh, from the East Coast. So that's also part of the whole mm -hmm. conversation that PJ was trying to bring up earlier. Right. So um, it's mainly on the East Coast that we have this delineation. Uh, it's it's actually from Central, Central America. Like not Central America, but like, uh, uh, let's call it the Midwest. Okay. You know, like that Where did area, the Texas, start? that Texas all the way up to, okay. uh, I think Minnesota, like that line okay. kind of, line there yeah, i don't know where the line actually starts or ends i know i was a pastor in california we didn't have it out there right right and so right. i know west coast it wasn't there correct it was always here in the east coast and so you're talking about what we normally use the word or segregated conferences is kind of the word that we sometimes use even though that's not an appropriate word in the way that you you've just you guys have just explained it in a way that makes it clear that these aren't actually really segregated conferences but going back to their origins they kind of were, and so we continue to refer to them that way. Majority, yeah, they were majority, segregated, but, mm. yeah. And so there's still a, what we would call, as, as I think you mentioned in one of your things, more of a voluntary mm -hmm. segregation mm -hmm. of, of these, and it's kind of been just a result of what happened in the past. And we have a wonderful gift of having Curcio with us, who's a pastor of our conference, but he has also been a pastor in a regional conference. Yep. So you have been able to see both you've worked in both yes i have and that's a beautiful gift for us because i have not and you'll be able to add a lot more to this conversation than i will mine's just gonna be like 
Whoa, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I will say this. For those of you who want a little bit of background, there is an awesome podcast. Um, from this podcast group, it is called uh, The Conflict Audible. Oh, yeah, the they're name. really good. Yeah. And the podcast that I listen to is White and Black's Part 1. They now have a Part 2. I have yet to listen to it. But the Part 1 explored a little bit of how that came to be. And some of the history behind that. I actually think one of the special guests was a Southern. Yeah, Kevin Burton. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was one of the special people on that podcast. And so for those of you who want a little bit of background, read that. Because there's some interesting background on what Ellen White thought about it. And kind of how her mentality changed over time. And we'll probably uh, allude to that a little bit while we're here. And, and Lisa, you being the historical sure. uh, person of... All expertise. of the things, PJ. Yes. All of the things. All of the expertise <laughs> yes. of historical things. All of things. history. I know all of history. Yes. And you worked with the guy who kind of specialized in that sure. as well. So His you know a little bit. His knowledge rubbed off on me. Yes. Ah, lovely, lovely. Hopefully we'll day, one day we'll bring him. Yeah, bring him. And that'll be, yeah. that'll be great. So why don't you start us off? Do you know a little bit about the history of how that got started? Do you sure. Were you going to say something? Peter? Yeah, I was just going to share, uh, okay. which was uh, North Pacific union and the pacific union conferences mm -hmm. oh well those those unions those and two that unions. side they don't have regional conferences okay so, okay. so the just, rest of the unions the do. rest do so in america lake southwestern correct Columbia. correct so so i'll tell you the states that are in those um Actually, I won't because there's a whole lot. <laughs> but anyhow, so the, the majority is, of the um, states in America do, are separated by state and regional conferences. By state That's and regional correct. conferences. Yes. Go ahead, I, PC. I definitely have questions for you, PK, as someone who's worked in both conferences, but maybe we should go sort of in chronological order. I don't know. Um, However I mean, you want. I, d I think you can probably say something, PJ, I was having listened to the podcast, but I mean, Adventists started in the North before the Civil War. They were radical abolitionists mm -hmm. they 100 percent like felt like there wasn't like Ke professor kevin burton would say he's he's done all the, almost all the research of almost every single person that was a millerite or early adventist um leading up to the civil war and he says there wasn't anyone who wasn't an abolitionist there was one guy but they just disfellowshipped him basically so basically to be an adventist was to be an abolitionist which was more radical than we think now because sometimes we think well you know when when history changes we tend to none of us be able to imagine that we that it wasn't always right and that everyone wouldn't have always agreed with it we're always on the good side right yeah. we're always the good people because we do that even with the bible and the israelites <laughs> oh, I would not have right. bowed down to that golden calf. Exactly. Right. I would not have doubted the manna, whatever. It's really funny because <laughs> I feel like there's there's situations that we may not speak of right now, lest we get too distracted, where I think, where I hear people say things about which side they're on in a particular conflict. And I think you're not going to even probably be able to remember in 10 years that you were on the wrong side of history on this one. Mm. Like you're not going to even remember that you supported X, Y, Z or sus were suspicious of ABC or whatever, or had this sort of conspiracy theory in 15 years when everyone's talking about, remember when they were all like that? And it was like, yeah, <laughs> who believed in Y2K? <laughs> that look that one up boys and girls. Yes. Um, but you yes. know, did anyone believe in that? Well, no one now thinks that they believed in that, but clearly a lot of people did. So, and if you don't know what she's talking about, she's talking about the fact that Lincoln, 
Elliot's changed their their <laughs> recipe and they're not as good. <laughs> and they used to be my favorite. Hot that was not Y two K though. I was on the right history of that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so anyway, I think so. Adventists were abolitionists, which was a very radical statement. Not only were they abolitionists, but they were politically active in that. So they worked to change the laws. They they disobeyed the laws when they needed to, and then after. But they were only in the north, so they weren't really trying to convert people in the south. So it was it wasn't it, it went hand in glove with being part of the North, not everyone who's a Northerner was an abolitionist. In fact, at least 30% of the people were in favor of slavery in the North, at least. Mm. Um, so that it didn't by default mean that, but it was certainly easier if you're an Adventist and you're spreading. What's harder is to be in a place that has explicit racialization. Um, and it did not mean that they all believed in racial equality. So being an abolitionist did not mean that you believed in racial equality. Mm. Now, lots of Adventists did. Um, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. And um, so they might not have believed that there should be slavery, but they also might not believe in equality of the races. However, a lot of them did. Mm -hmm. um, certainly Ellen White did. And, uh, you know, our, our publications were more radicalized than some of our, our average people. Like our, our official stance was nonviolent. Don't, don't be part of the war, but there were definitely Adventists that served in the military and killed people, um, you know, or were willing to, and, don't know if they did or didn't. So even though that wasn't the official stance, people still did it. So I'm just saying the official stance is more radical in favor of equality among the races than everybody was. Well, after the Civil War, what, what happens is that Adventism spreads as the United States is spreading to the West. And then also Adventists start being missionaries to the South. And um, that became harder, um, just like it is in every place where you're a missionary. Um, you adapt to the local culture, and um, and and Adventists went down south and tried to run integrated evangelism and got run out of town and th threatened with violence, and so went ahead and decided to to segregate their ministry. Yeah, um, not to go over the whole podcast. Yeah, I don't want to redo the one, but yeah, it, it was an. It's an interesting listen to. Please listen to it in its entirety. The one, I, the one I told you about the conflict audible, but it was very interesting how they talked about how Ellen White had some very strong, very strong language about the separation of the races. Yeah, and how it was so ungodly that God would mm. think that this was a godly thing that we were going totally against God's nature to, to think of someone less than us, to think them not worthy of the gospel. And, and we integrated in the North. Yeah. Not a hundred percent, but Battle Creek had black students, Battle Creek college, mm -hmm. you know, like, mm -hmm. so the schools and churches were integrated in the North. Right. And so as, and you're right, as they moved down South, it was interesting to listen to this podcast because they were saying how much they were doing. They were teaching the blacks to read they were giving them health seminars and then they would have to move them off to barges off, off mm -hmm. of land on these boats to kind of scoot the law a little bit, but they mm. were still getting so much pushback. And you know, even when they segregated, they were getting pushback because the whole notion that you would be providing in the South right. black communities with anything that was bettering them. Yeah. So any improvement they were, they were totally against that. And that was, that was interesting. And that's where, we get the kind of shift in Ellen White's mm. not thinking, but approach. Because I know when we've talked about this privately about the, you know, the difference in the conferences and regions, you know, you bring up the Ellen White quote, which was, 
basically her saying until we find a better way. Yeah, that's correct. That she was like, okay, we'll do it this way until God shows us a better way. And, and that came directly because of the South right. and all the stuff that they were doing there. She's like, well, if we get chased out, we have no evangelistic abilities there. Correct. Mm -hmm. So let's segregate and give them power to evangelize within themselves. And then that's where the kind of the segregation regional conferences versus state conferences kind of got its genesis. Sort of. It's 40 years between those two things, though. I mean, part of what happens is that um, as we become more institutionalized and we expand, and there's a lot more work happening in the South among white people as well as among black Americans, um, we have white Adventists not, re you know, not really believing, respecting black leaders, not mm. respecting them at all, not really seeing them as uh, spiritually equal, like not thinking they had anything to learn mm -hmm. from black ministers or black teachers or anything like that, and not really thinking that they could run their own organizations. So, you know, starting, you know, Oakwood and Southern are started about the same time, but there's like a white president of Oakwood for decades. Like mm. they, and, and, you know, white teachers and, but they're not really promoting. And, and so the same, the, this, this consistently, what, what happens in the thirties is as, um, and starting even in the 20s, there are incredibly successful black leaders, including people in New York and Washington, D.C., black ministers who are wanting to have integrated audiences in D.C. We're not even talking about in the South here. We're talking about D.C. and New York City. And as, as an example, there are probably other cities where this was happening, too, but these are the ones I happen to know about. And that causing difficulty with the white brethren because mm -hmm. they felt like these guys were getting too high on their horse and were stepping out of place. And at least in one situation, the pastor left the Adventist church with his congregation, even though he was a Sabbath keeper and, and believed all of the things. Um, so starting in the 20s and 30s, there starts being resistance among black Adventists who are becoming more highly educated in society at large. They're starting to have more influence, but in their own church, they're being kept, you know, and they're, they're actually getting to a place where they feel like they're not able to evangelize because why would people becoming other ch black churches had often, you know, the, you know, the, the Methodist church and the Episcopalian church, they'd kind of separated and they had segregated organizations for, for black Methodists and Anglicans. So they, they felt like, you know, why would we, why would black um, Americans want to join this church where they're kind of kept in place? So finally in the thirties, they started pushing back so much. And some of the research I've done on other things in Adventist history, I come across these descriptions of like at the general conference sessions in the 30s, black Adventists staging protests saying, you not, you're not treating us equally. We want full equality and your racist policies. Mm. And basically in 1940, in order to, in the, the early 1940s, around, around World War II, during World War II, in order to basically stop, it was getting out in public, like newspapers are covering it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, in order to stop that, the church decided that segregated conferences would be the way to allow black leaders to be promoted and to get to the top and to do their own evangelism without like bothering the white people because they are no longer, they're not allowed to like move up in the conference. So that's when the com segregated conferences start. And that's when evangel like evangelism amongst black Americans takes off 
Like hugely once they're given that ability to have leadership, but like, you know, the funds that were unequally distributed for evangelism, mm-hmm. um, that remains true. Like, you know, black evangelists just weren't given the same funding. They, they were given the hand-me-down tents, you know, from the white evangelists and, you know, this, this, I mean, people that are still alive can remember this. Um, so that's part of why it happens. And that's when Black Adventism takes off to the last statistics I saw, and you gentlemen probably know more about this, is like we're 37 in North American division, we're 37% white and 33% black within black as an overarching, you know, identifier. Yeah, because it covers, yeah, it covers yeah. Uh, Afro-Caribbean it, as it co- well. Yeah, and, a ton of, a ton of things you, yeah. like that. But I mean, I think I think that's interesting. I'd love to hear from, from you, PK, on sort of that experience of like why some why some people because if you were able to preach within black conferences you probably do have a sense of why that's considered valuable potentially still um, even though we're now at a point where in theory now that to say I keep reading stuff I was just researching this morning because I'm researching one of the conferences for the encyclopedia and I can see like all of the work in the late 1800s and early 1900s for German people and Swedish people and Norwegian people and, you know, in the different language groups and, of course, you know, Spanish language. And now we're very used to in our world having, you know, Korean language. And so we have all these different ministries to different categories. Sometimes it is based around language, but very soon, second generation, it's not language anymore, you know, because people are multilingual, you know, you know, as soon as you have, but they still may have that same identity. And I do wonder sometimes, and that's, you know, the where the good conversation can happen beyond just what the history is, you know, our continued identification culturally and ministry to a particular culture in a way that allows them to flourish and worship in a way that feels like home to them versus the call to be one and bless each other. And, you know, I think these are, these are not easy questions, obviously, but you can see this goes back to the very beginning of like, this is a way to evangelize is to let these groups evangelize themselves. Yeah. And I think that that's in a way dangerous. I have one of my pet peeves is our segregated among cultural lines and not just racial lines. So I'm, I'm, I went to Hispanic churches growing up, little Hispanic churches growing up. Same here. Um, and it has a different feel. And by you- that, do you mean that the preaching and singing were in Spanish? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The, yeah, the service was actually in Spanish. Yeah. And, and well, it, it, there's a cultural difference, too. There's just a different feel to it. There's just... Yeah, it, b- yeah but I mean... Um, were the, can I ask another question? Were the people that were there from different countries of origin? Yes. So, so Mo- in my case, for instance... I. I you said smaller churches, and then I realized. Oh, no, I not was me. smaller churches. I My parents were the, always a part of. No, I grew up in the churches. big in the biggest Spanish church yeah. in the regional conference is where I grew up, and um, it was primarily Cuban. Yeah, and that ours was, was primarily was Caribbean Hispanic, and so there's there's definitely not just a, Cuban, but maybe Dominican. But, but there were well, ours, Puerto Rican, Dominican, ours had Cuban. Puerto Ricans and Dominicans as well. Um, but it was primarily Cubans. Not as many South Americans, not very many Mexicans at all within, there was maybe one or two families within the context. And then I went out to California and that, that demographic totally changed because all sure. the churches there are mainly me- Mexican. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, even, but even seeing that, you see the difference even in the cultures within like California Hispanic church mm-hmm. as opposed to a, mm. a, a Florida Hispanic church. Right. But I have all, I've often said we have to stop being so comfortable being separated and even culturally. And this is one of my pet peeves because we try to preserve our culture. 
and I'm saying Hispanics, try to preserve their own culture. I think Caucasians try yes. to preserve yes. their own yeah, yeah. Yes. culture. It's not just, yes. it's no, not just, it's not just Hispanics. Hispanics. Yes. Right. Yes. I'm saying this is yes. all of us have to do a better job of feeling, of not being so comfortable with our own culture. We need to we need to not be so comfortable with that. And culture is bigger. I mean, you guys are pastors, you know this better than I do. I mean, culture is so I had to pick a church. The church next that I've I am one mile from a Spanish church. Mm-hmm. Maybe a mile from a regional conference church that's primarily black. And I I go three miles to my white church. Mm-hmm. Primarily white and mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first moved to my neighborhood, I did not try out the Spanish church because my husband does not speak any Spanish. I would have probably enjoyed that, and for selfish reasons, expand, you know, <laughs> building on my Spanish. Right. Um, but my, um, but, but I know the regional conference church was more conservative. Really? Then I felt comfortable being. And that's a different kind of culture, right? Mm. You know, so like part of me is like, I want to go to a church where I'm not going to hear sermons about how I shouldn't be wearing trousers to church. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. that's me being selfish. You know, that's me being, that's me choosing a culture and it's a, it's, it maybe it's a societal culture. It might be a slightly political culture. It might be, I don't know. It is a culture, yeah. but it isn't maybe about what kind of food is at potluck or how the music is. It's a little, it's something else. You well, know? By the way, white people have the better potlucks. That's just my opinion. <laughs> I, love, I love the pot. I love every potluck I've ever gotten to go to. Hispanics <laughs> always give the same stuff. It's never. Oh, so that's your comparison. Yeah. Okay, I like okay. the, like the white person's uh, potluck has a ton of different types of foods. Spanish, it's rice and beans, rice and beans. You're like, well, you haven't been, uh, have you been to a, to a regional church's potluck? <sighs> No, I haven't. Okay, so no, just no, make sure that people understand that that's not the I'm just saying, case. That's what I was, you my, know, I'll throw even you a bone, my PJ. mother was like, I don't like going to my own church. Dude, spotlight. let me tell you. Well, anyways, those hey, let me get back down. on this anyways, culture thing. Go ahead, so go ahead, go ahead. I lived in Thailand for three years. They preached their culture. Thai, Thai, mm. The Thais preached their culture. And a lot of the culture that Can they preached. Can you give preached, an example of that? Yes, I'll try to. So, obviously, in the Asian culture, they're about um, hierarchy a lot. And a lot about showing respect to your elders and those kind of things. And so that was very important to them, the outward show of respect. So I worked at a school. So the, the lady that was directly ahead of me would be like, oh, yeah, the ties are very respectful to you. And it's true that when they would come to you, they say, ma'am, sir, yes, I, uh, yes, 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 tell you yes. But once they leave, they wouldn't do it. And to me, that's not respect. To me, that's fake. But that was what they loved, this outward show of respect. And also the, the headmaster there, the principal, always used to say, yes, I'm a Thai Adventist. I believe in the principles of Thai culture or uh, uh, Adventist Buddhist. I believe in their, because Thais and Buddhism are so interrelated, it's hard for them to separate that. But you should say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Buddhist. And she would say, because I believe in those principles. And the principles that she would share were all Christian principles, by the way. But it, she, didn't, she didn't seem to think that the Western way of handling things was in line with that. Like I said, it was more of that outward mm-hmm. show of respect, that outward show of giving respect to the, the higher person without questioning them. Even if you question them sometimes nicely, they're like, why are you questioning me? I'm the authority here. 
Wow. At least outwardly. And so there was, and what I realized is that they were saying, we want to protect our culture. We want to protect our culture when we talk about church. There was two churches. It was so interesting. There was the Thai church and the international church. Now, the international church wasn't international. It was a Filipino church because 80% of the people there were Filipino. And it felt like a Filipino church. It did not feel like a white church. It did not feel like, it felt like a Filipino church. And it was so interesting, these cultural differences. You'd go to the Thai church, you would have to take off your shoes to go into the Thai church. If you went to the international church and you took off your shoes, that was disrespect. So weird and interesting. What hit me when I was in Thailand, though, was that overall, I think one of the, one of the biggest disservices we as a church in Christianity in general, not just Adventism, in Christianity in general, we have made Christianity into a cultural thing. In other words, Christianity looks Western mm. to most people. Yes. If you think about it, you go to a church in another country, they're going to be singing mainly Western hymns, sounding hymns, maybe in their language, but it's the same hits hymns we're singing. They're going in a suit and tie. That's the way it's you're supposed to go to church. And if you go to their, like, normal things they don't dress in suit they dress in their normal wear and so we've made it kind of so anyways. so so let me let me share a little bit here not in the state and regional sense just yet the the idea for me i i wrote a paper about this at the seminary like mm. it was something that i was very passionate about mm. and um the deal was i'm not the expert okay so i'm glad pc's here and eventually we'll try to get <laughs> kevin yeah. people who know uh, history better than I do. But the idea is it, it's evident that what a lot of these countries were receiving uh, came from the missionaries that we sent because Adventism began in North America. And it's not just Adventism. It's Christianity in general. Right. That kind I, of right, brought but, well, westernization. Well, well, if we talk about Adventism, we're talking about people who were from, right. there were Methodist backgrounds and had um, other churches that other denominations that came together that eventually became Adventists, right? So so the idea is these concepts that have also been carried or embraced from, and in some cases, the Catholic Church, which we know is very strong in at least the Latin American culture, um, when they went as missionaries, part of a missionary's responsibility is to understand the culture where they're taking the message to so they can relate with the, them and get them to accept the message of Jesus, right? Uh, well, uh, at least accept the Adventist message uh, as missionaries, right? So anyways, so the concept is a lot of this is happening where these missionaries leave, right? It takes them at least a year to start integrating into the culture to then start sharing and being effective or impactful with the message. Now, we're talking years in, missionaries come back and a lot has changed. But, you know, that's why some people say, at least in, in the in, like when I go back to the Dominican Republic, a lot of them are like, oh, the churches in America have apostatized. Well, because their idea came from what the missionaries taught them. And that's what they embraced. And they tried to link that and relate it to their culture. But then look at what happens. These people then eventually migrate to the United States and they come over here. And then it, what you said happens which is they try to hold on to their roots. And part of their quote-unquote roots is how they understood or how they worshipped, how they understood worship. So then when they come over here, they look at these churches and they're like, this doesn't match with what I was told. 
So then what do they try to do? They try to create their own churches that reflect what it was back home. It gives them that sense of home. So now you're seeing this dynamic happening where missionaries are going out, preparing people, takes them years, eventually come back, and it's different because it keeps progressing. That's why we said before in another podcast, we didn't delve too deep into it, but if our church is 10 years behind the curve, these uh, churches in these other countries are maybe 20 years behind the curve just because there's certain things that they have embraced and they've understood that haven't progressed the same way it has here in the States. So why am I but sharing sometimes all for the of better. this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I mean, obviously, obviously, but, but this is, this, why am I, I sharing all of this? Yes, why are is you because this? this is the dynamic that is happening in our church. So a lot of this whole, even, even segregation, which we're going to get to here in a, in a moment, but the idea is this whole concept of missionaries getting prepared to share this message, go into another country, takes them years to to break through and then be able to share. People accept it. Ultimately, some migrate over here. The idea is they look like that, what you described, which is a Western way, old Western way of worship. Yeah, and I don't think they liturgy. Did. It's more liturgy than it is. I'm not sure the missionaries else. did good enough of a job of integrating into their culture, though. Right. Well, that <laughs> I don't think well, they did. This is where if they Lisa, made their church look Western. That's my beef. Because listen, teach them how to make their gospel fit into their lives. But the missionary is going to go based on their knowledge. I, so I missionaries, I mean, I think we've come a long way in our understanding of humans and culture and anthropology and sociology in the 20th century that we didn't know in the heyday of American missions in the 19th century. Um, and so I do think we know better now. I think a lot of missionaries did try to do that for sure. But what they thought was cultural and what they thought was theology, we might draw those lines differently now than they did. Like, I think there were things they thought. And I think it's partly the differences that culture made in those places that, you know, we still can go there, go, oh, they do things differently here. And we might think, well, they haven't progressed Partly because, again, I'm coming from the ego of Western Europe, enlightenment thinking that thinks there is progress and that we're going somewhere. And that, again, progress in general, which is an enlightenment idea that you get better as you move forward. And so, by the by, you know, history is always on the side of progress. We're always going to look back and think we were doing it wrong. Whereas some cultures think the way they did it in the past is better That's than the way we're doing it. it. And it's a decline theory that we've always declined from the great of the past. Yep. And if we're talking sinful nature, that's kind of the way sin has worked. Except that I think we, since sin entered, we've been equally sinful. I don't think we're more sinful. I think people in the past have always been sinful, and we are still sinful, and we have always had the same opportunity. This is my personal theology, so we can yeah, you know, let's talk agree about this. I like this. Um, <laughs> that we've always had the opportunity to choose good and choose evil, to be on the side of grace or not love. Equally, whether you're talking about 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, or now, I don't necessarily think, and I think history tells me people are behaving, behaved, are, are having a better idea of, of humaneness, you know, and how to love other people as humans than we did 300 or 400 years ago. There are definitely things that are also worse now. So that's why I think it all comes out in the wash. But, but again, it's in context mm -hmm. because it's, we're told nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So the reality is, well, maybe technology and that kind of stuff is, is new. But but the point is, the, the concept is we're still in this loop, in this pattern of sin. And it's sin in that particular context, because 
we're told that it's like going to be like in the times of Noah. You know, things are just the mindset of man due to sin. And when I say man, I mean men and women, of course, um, is just attached or tainted to sin, regardless of what time in, in Earth's history you lived in. So no, sin no has been culture sin. represents Christianity in the way it should be. Correct. Nobody, nobody no, I, has. I don't think so at all. Yeah. yeah. Nobody's ever Agreed. done it right. And so I think that's, then all we're picking is like sometimes the, the, the thing that feels most comfortable to us. And I think there's beauty in the diversity of the way we reflect. I want Christians to worship differently in different parts of the world, partly because I think that helps me realize the whole scope of the body of Christ and of who God is, that people represent God. We all bear, we're all image bearers, but some people bear his image differently than me. And so that's really important for me to get that. And I was confessing earlier, more at the beginning of our conversation that I struggle because I want to not have to, I mean, I want to feel comfortable, you know, I want, and, and I think there's it's almost like getting therapy in your own language. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're multilingual, your mother tongue is the language you want to have counseling in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it doesn't always work that way. You know, you can't always get that in the United States specifically, mm-hmm. but um, but that's ideal. And I think there's something about worshiping. And I've heard no people that will want to pray in their mother tongue, even mm-hmm. though they're by multilingual and they could pray in other languages. But this is what I want. They want to talk to God in. The trick comes, and this is where I think we're dealing with in our church, isn't it? Where like what helped us flourish, like the book that what got you here won't get you there, you know, like an Ellen White's quote is kind of like that too. Like, okay, so we need it to do evangelism in the mother tongue. We need it, you know, we want to bring people into the body of Christ because they're already maybe having to make big changes when they become Adventists. You don't also want them to have to make a cultural change. So like, you're like, okay, how many changes do you have to make? And we're talking about, I'm talking right now about evangelism in North America, which for almost the entire history of our church, we have done evangelism with immigrants. Like, so that's why we had language academies up until World War One when we got really nationalistic and we're like, shut down anything that's not in English. But like before that, we had tons of language academies where people from Sweden came to Union College, got Swedish training, and then went to South America, you know, or, you know, and worked with the Swedish congregations in Argentina, you know, or Brazil or something like that, which is blows my mind. And I just read an essay on Swedish missionaries in the 19th century. They were better. This person made the argument that Adventist Swedish missionaries did a better job. If you look at whole, there were small numbers, so maybe it doesn't even make any sense to compare them, but they almost always wrote hymns in original to the language of where they were at rather than translating hymns Mm -hmm. or songs and music. And they said it's partly because they're a small country within Europe. And so they're always used to having to like know multiple languages and do Mm -hmm. these things. So they were more adept at this. That's what this person's argument was. I think that's interesting. But I do think what worked for us once, it's like anytime you build institutions, um, like, so for instance, I'm going to use my, my, my field. Um, as a historian, um, most of my students, only people they've learned about in history with, with two or three big exceptions, like Rosa Parks maybe or whatever, are men. And so sometimes you have to have like a women's history class to sort of introduce them to that. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't want to teach histories of men and women segregated like forever and ever Mm -hmm. but it's almost like until you get some critical mass of understanding or history or integration you kind of have you kind of do it separately and then ideally you integrate everybody but when does that happen 
Like, it's not clear. Like, when are we there yet? Like, do we need to stop doing that? Like, I mean, it's a great concept because we have Black History Month, mm-hmm. right? Should we need to have a Black History Month? Ideally not. No, right. it should just be history, right? Right. The, but obviously, they, they've been historically underreported as, as, as women, mm-hmm. underreported their achievements. Right. So, but do we, and so now with Ellen White's quote, as in, we need to do it till we can find something better. How do we know when we've gotten there? Man, I, to me, I feel like we've gotten there. I, to me, it's a disservice that we haven't gotten there. And right now, I feel like it's culture and pride and power struggle that keep us from getting where we need to go. It, to me, it's not, no longer about race because, let's face it, if we had an integrated church, we're not going to be persecuted by the majority and told you can't have church. That time is over. Back then, it was. And, and part of me believes, I'm wondering if Ellen White made a concession that maybe she shouldn't have. And I know I'm speaking a little bit of heresy to question what Ellen White said. It's but let's heresy. face it, not all of her quotes were prophetic. She's and we human. need to realize that. Yeah. <laughs> she has prophetic books, prophetic statements, but not all of her statements and just, ideas were prophetic. Just like the authors of the Bible. Right. So what... What if she compromised when she really shouldn't have had and, and didn't have enough faith to be like, no, we're going to go through because God's going to do this for us. I, I don't know. I don't know because it's such a weird change to be like, this is, de-. she, she, I think mm-hmm. said the word demonic. It's mm-hmm. demonic that we have this idea that black and white should be separated within the Christian body. And then to say, well, because, and by the way, part of this was her son was the one leading Right. And she was seeing the work, the, the trouble that he was going through, and that maybe yeah. there was a little bit of motherly concern. Well, again, it, it takes me it takes me back to to that whole idea. Yes, we try to do things temporarily due to certain circumstances, but we have the history, and Lisa can cross rest cross check this and make sure that it's true but we have the history that once we (laughs) thank you fact check uh once we find something that quote-unquote works we kind of just set it and forget it and i think that that's part of the the challenge that we've had as a church which is yeah so for that time in that specific uh circumstance yes it was the right thing to do just because of all the struggles in the world and and we are not of the world but we live in the world right so there are some challenges that we will face that we need to adapt to in order to accomplish our goal i get it but the thing is god never wanted us to be the tail he always wanted us to be the head and the challenge is we um haven't lived up or been the heads in leading into these things that god wanted us to lead for instance integration Integration was a perfect opportunity for us as a church to lead in and be the ones to show that under Mm -hmm. God, we are all the same. We are all his children. And the thing is, instead of saying we're going to do this for X amount of time and we're going to revisit this once things start to change, we didn't. We just let it just snowball and grow and grow and and create this chasm between uh, the races, which now it feels like it's going to be almost impossible to get rid of without basically dismantling the church structure as we understand it, mm-hmm. right? So has God shown us a better way? Maybe. Have we been paying attention? Probably not. <laughs> and that's and that's the, that's the issue. Why? You said it, PJ. It is a power struggle. Once you taste power, 
it is very hard to let it go. And I, and I think it's more than just that. I do think there's a huge well, there's cultural, money, there's money there's involved. Money, what what most people don't realize is I don't I don't think either side wants to change because there are money things in place that make it hard for them to to change. Look, change brings sacrifice, and you have to be selfless when change is coming about. And can I just say? Who should have to be selfless? We all have to be selfless. But I think people who have more, are more is required. So in this context, what I'm saying, like I think if I'm sitting here, middle-aged white lady, go, you know, saying we need to integrate, why the heck haven't I integrated? I, nothing's stopping me. If if a bunch of people who identify as white are saying we shouldn't have segregated conferences, we can desegregate. Mm-hmm. But what I think a lot of us mean is those regional conferences should be dismantled and they join us. We're the real church. Those are the other churches that are out there. Yep, and so when I when I hear my brothers and sisters who are part of regional conferences. Um, and are speaking their heart, and even ones who are not part of regional conferences but benefit from the fact that they exist and that they're supported through kind of the ministries that are associated with regional conferences. Um, they say, we, will, we, we, we formed these because white Adventists did not want to share power or submit to our leadership. And we will not need them anymore when white Adventists are willing to submit to our leadership and see us and what we do as fully equal and fully valuable. Now, I don't think we all are aware of ourselves enough to know when that is actually how to separate the reality that's around us from our own sense of pride and comfort and economic well-being. I think those are really difficult to all separate. But I also think that puts the burden on the people who have had most of the power for a lot of the time. We let, you know, we are in a church that has conference leadership, union leadership that is black. And I think we are, just to say that, we also have it that's Hispanic and Asian, you know, so I don't think it's only that, but I think sitting here as a person for whom the traditional power has been with white Adventists, um, I do think maybe the burden should be on us to make it really clear that we are willing to submit to the leadership and spiritual authority of our, let's say it, black brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we should also be willing to listen to our black sisters, but you know, our leadership is primarily male in our church. Um, and so anyway, I, that's part of what I have to like, that's the whole, the Holy Spirit is telling me, because I don't think it can happen without the work of the Holy Spirit and the work the Holy Spirit is doing in me is saying, if you think segregation is a problem, what are you, Lisa Clark Diller doing to integrate your life a little bit more instead of saying, why don't they come to us? I want them to join us. What am I even saying in all of that? See, I think of it a little bit differently. Um, I don't think of it as anyone needs to join anyone, to be honest with you. So you've dismantled the whole thing and personally, I believe that's the best way to do it because to be honest with you, either side is then saying, well, no, you need to come to us because you oppressed us for so long. No, you need to come to us because we're the original. You're both saying we're the ones that need to be in charge when it is Jesus, the one that's in charge. We forget about that. And here I am, and I know I work for a state conference, but I am also Hispanic who has seen 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put something out there that may be a little bit controversial. I have seen my conference. I am proud of them because they specifically have looked for minorities. They have they have tried and said, "Hey, how can we be a little better integrated?" Even though the majority, percentage-wise, of their congregation is white and white culture, they are still trying to integrate. Which, if there's another conference, you could say, "Well, there's already there, there's already a demographic." I have not seen as much from the regional conferences saying, "How can we integrate and bring them into our leadership?" Because I under I, and I understand the mentality of it, but there needs to be hum hum humbleness on both sides. And I, I guess I'm, I, I want to be able to see every culture. I, I've seen Hispanics do the same thing where they're protecting their culture and no, no, no. The white people already have theirs. So how can we bring someone in? Well, we're never going to be integrated if you think that way. I well, just, I don't, that's why I think a total dismantling, hmm. a restart. And that's scary because what's going to happen? Well, if God's in control, why are we worried about that? I mean, that's that's just me, and I know it's controversial on both sides to be saying this, but I don't feel like anyone wants to give up anything. Right, and again, when when I wrote my paper, this that was my conclusion. Like, I didn't have an answer for how to fix it. Like, I really didn't, because there's so many layers to how we got here, and mm -hmm. we haven't really touched on every nuance mm. of the history. Oh. You there's know, there's and, financial and there's, nuances that oh, are unbelievable. There's a lot, and and <laughs> sadly, and Lisa can can fact check this too. Um, change doesn't normally happen until death happens, and that's that's a sad reality. And um, it's gonna take massive mm -hmm. death. Because I think young, young people do not have the same loyalties. Correct. Institutional loyalties. Um, you know, so people born in the United States, you know, in the last 30, 40 years don't have that same institutional loyalty. And it might take a while. Like one of my friends, it's a terrible saying, but unfortunately a couple of us have incorporated it because it, it's like they're old, they'll die soon. You know, yeah. and like she said that about like, you just can't worry about those people. Like, you know, that was her kind of, it was, she's not a Christian. That That's not a very Jesus-like saying to say. But right. her feeling was like, rather than like try to change that, I'm just waiting them out. And that's, I don't think that's also necessarily what Jesus would, it might be the compromise, like what Ellen White had to compromise, like we're compromising. But here's the other little thing that I think is the fundamental core of being a Christian is that we are broken and we don't mm -hmm. have it together. And f confession is the fundamental act of the Christian. So no, to understanding that we're messed, we don't have it right. We've messed up. We've messed up in the past. We continue to mess up. We have not, we, we are trying, we're failing. We can fail better. You know, as Tana Hesse Coates says, you know, I fail, fail again, fail better, keep failing, fail better. You know, that's all we're trying to do is in some ways fail better. <laughs> um, but cool. I, I do think um, it's important to understand the history and that other people are not just idiots. That's part of why knowing the history is important. Like, because other people aren't just dum-dums, you know, and self-centered evil people that they want it like this, you know, and to know the, the line of good and evil lies down the core of my own heart, you know, as much as it does anybody else's. But I think and here it would be a great time to redo everything because there is no Protestant church that is more bureaucratized than the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so, you know, we could do a lot if we were brave enough to, by reorganize, it didn't mean add more layers. It meant, you know, let's Shed level some, some stuff, yeah. you know, so that we can do that. We liberate our resources instead of 
organizing institutions and every place has to have its own paper and its own, you know, newsletter and its own person that does youth yep. stuff and its own person that does media and its own person that does, you know, every single thing. We have to have an administrator that we pay full time to do this, you know, because somehow we can't do it at why, the local why level. Why are you staring at me? Please <laughs> <laughs> the representative of the conference. Oh, <laughs> but, man, you know, there you but, go. But at the same time, I'm, I'm part of a union college, you know, that we were wondering, like, why do we have to have, why does every union have to have their own college? You know, like, so I know, yeah. no, I, no, no, I, I, I get it, I get it too. I get it too. So anyway, I just think that we, that's another, it's a chance for us to, I don't, to use a very violent metaphor, kill two birds with one stone. Um, if we did that, if we were brave. I enough. mean, to me, that's, that's really the only way you can do it. Cause if you try right to now. integrate, someone's going to be mad. Someone's going to be upset. Whatever side has to be doing the integrating they feel like they're being cheated or something's being stripped of them. Honestly, we're humans. We're, we're going to feel that way. We're gonna, why am I the one that get, has to get fired? Why am I the one that has to move? Why am I the one? And, and it gets, even, even if you have, in, in, in a Christian mentality, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, right? Even if I've been oppressed, do I still have the right? According to the gospel, only Jesus has the right, mm -hmm. right? And that's, I mean, we need to start thinking more about what would Christ do? What was he willing to do? He, let's face it, Christ stepped down from his divine throne, became a human being. Think about that. The God of the universe. He gave up all his rights. And will for eternity be a human being. Mm -hmm. Still God. But, yeah, yeah. Still but, God, but still a human in the flesh, being. In the flesh. Yeah, in the flesh. That is an unbelievable concept that we as humans, man, we miss that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we don't want to give up 40 years of power mm. when Christ gave up an eternity of being his person to become one of us. And, and we're sitting here as employees of the denomination. Yes. This is more on you guys as pastors, as conference employees. I get to kind of be layperson, forget that it happened. But I would say anyone who's listening who cares about this and as a layperson is like, oh, the church has to figure it out, but do I give them my tithe and they're just doing this with it or not? Or all my job is to just do that and try to vote for decent people at the conference level, constituency or whatever. Like you can feel like you don't have a lot of, I would say for me too, as again, as a layperson who doesn't have like a vote on any kind of executive councils or you know constituency meetings or whatever I would say our job is to say well when you move to a place what's your local church they're all your church they're all your church all the Adventist churches are your church and to to say what church is closest to me gonna go there gonna use my gifts and body Christ and doesn't you know like if I can understand the language at all like I'm going to show up and this is going to be my people. And instead of saying, I got to find the one that makes it meets my culture exactly right. Where it I feel comfortable. My needs. <laughs> well, and that's what the intent was when we were organizing, we wanted a light in every town, pretty much light reference normally to the church, right? Diversity on a hill, yeah. mm -hmm. the light in the city. Anyhow. So the point was, <laughs> you might want to say that again. I don't think diverse. Diverse. Yeah, there you go. So, so the idea is this: we that was the intent. We wanted everyone to have a church, a church nearby mm -hmm. that they could be a part of. Um, and right now, self has really just made that challenging. And now it's turned into my. Now it's turned more into a preference thing. Yes. 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 Than, we can than, drive to wherever we feel yeah. like. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and one of the sayings I often say, God created man in his own image. If he created man in his own image, it takes all of us yes. to reflect his image. Yes. That's right. Amen. No doubt. And so when one of us is separated, when we're separated, we're, we're doing something. When we allow the segregation, and, and here's another thing. Paul, Paul said this. He described the church as a what? As a body. As a body. Yeah. Right? And he's like, all these different parts. If the eye says, I don't want to be a part, he can't stop being a part of the body. The eye just can't do it. Right. And I've often said, like, when my wife was, you know, when we were dating, I often would say, oh, you have beautiful eyes. You know, they're sunflowers with green around them, right? Oh, nice. And so I would always say, you have sunflower eyes. And, Sweet talk. Oh, yeah, man, it was beautiful. <laughs> it, it worked, and she married me. Hey, hey woo But I often say, what happens if I saw that same eyeball, but it was on the street? rolling around separate from her body. Would I be like, oh, that's a beautiful eye. <laughs> I'd be like, that's disgusting. Yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, yeah. But we're doing that with the church when we segregate ourselves, when we're allowing yeah. things to be to, to be separate. Well, look, I know I know that we're a little over an hour here. No, no, and, we're, we're great. And uh, <laughs> the, 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 the challenge is, or maybe we're close to an hour, but the, but the point is this, look, we may have to have a follow-up part two to we this. May, we may have a part that two we in the had, future. <laughs> that we had Lisa on for this one. Um, but again, the concept is this. What is God telling you to do? Mm-hmm. And are you sincerely listening to what he's telling you? And are you holding on to your culture and, or and, striving for God's and, culture? And that's where I was going next, oh, which sorry, is you, you need... No, no, you're fine. You're, you're a good student. You're ahead. <laughs> so, so the idea is, you know... You have to really think if God is even trying to talk to me about this situation, am I even trying to hear him? Because again, like PC was saying, change happens in the church level. Like some of us are waiting for the conference and everybody else, it's particularly mm. the general conference, to make these changes. But change, dear ones, happens in the ground level. How about how about this? It doesn't even happen in the church level, it happens on the heart level. Of course. Well, no question. Because the you, we, and the you and me level. We are the church. This is my point. Right. The church is not the buildings that we go to. But a local congregation is the place we practice it. It that doesn't just it. happen right. in theory with a theoretical church Correct. and a theoretical body of Christ. It happens with that guy, Mr. Jones, and that lady, Sister Alice, that I show up with every week who might get on my nerves yeah. and who I sometimes work with in children's Sabbath school and who we you know, come out. And, that's where it happens. Correct. That The person that I don't agree with, that yeah. like I'm learning on Diversity on the Hill, how to have conversation, difficult conversations yeah. with. You're an expert at it already. That's why you're on the podcast. You're, you're teaching no, no, me. You're, I was no, like, when you said you listen well by, by, you learn well by listening, I was like, that explains a lot. He's a really good listener on the, on the <laughs> well, podcast. Thanks. Like, But I mean, I, I think especially young people, it's we want to go to a church where we have lots of our friends at. We want to go to a church that we would feel comfortable bringing our friends to. And I have to say, sometimes my quirky little Adventist churches, I wouldn't want to bring my friends to. Yeah. And yep. I, I get that. I get that that's challenging. Sometimes we think, I need to go plant a church because it needs to be a right church. And this other mm. one here is just too broken so mm. I'm going to go plant a church it's going to be me and my cool friends and that's what we're going to do and I just think God may be calling people to, I think we need lots of different kinds of churches some of them are going to be small house churches some of them are big huge churches with lots of resources the bot those can all be the body of Christ but they don't but it does happen in some of the real day-to-day and not just people that we think are cool and we like listening to online it happens to when we have people that we do the business of the kingdom of God with 
in the everyday and that we have to practice forgiveness. If you don't have to practice forgiveness with someone, you're probably not in the body of Christ with them. Yep. Like, so if you're not having to like, and they're not, you're not feeling their forgiveness, if you're not messing up and having to say sorry, you're, it's probably not actually a living body of Christ thing going on there. Yeah. So that's what I would just want to make sure. Cause sometimes I think people can think, Oh, I listen to this kind of music or I listen to that person. And because they're from diverse cultures, I've got it. Well, that's helpful that you should do that. You should read books and listen to podcasts and stuff by different people, but also pay attention to that local body of Christ. That doesn't happen magically. It happens from a commitment. Think you about, know. you think about this. Uh, I think Bob Goff, you know, Bob Goff, he had like some comment and I can't, I wish I had the quote next to me, but he's like, we spend most of our life um, avoiding the type of people who we're going to spend eternity <laughs> with in heaven. <laughs> wow. Is it that amazing? That's one last deep. one last little thing here. There was a, and, and this goes back to the cultural thing about how I believe it's so important. Uh, a few years ago, I won't say what church or where, but anyways, <laughs> we had a, a choir come who was a Nigerian choir. Maybe it was a Nigerian choir, I think. And they they sang, and it was it was beautiful. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And it was a little bit taste of their culture. It really was. Mm -hmm. They're singing. There was some movement <laughs> going on. Yeah. But it was, and there was some really loud singing. And I mean, it was just beautiful. It, when it wasn't gospel, it wasn't your typical African-American gospel. It sounded like an African choir, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they were, and it was beautiful, but there was movement. There was something in that. And I, I just remember thinking as I got up to pray and I said this to the congregation, how awesome is this going to be in heaven? I imagine them acquire like this at one of the gates as we come in mm. and at another gate, there's a choir from, from maybe another country singing a different type of music and all these different, beautiful musics just intertwining. Yeah. And I just thought, man, that is the perfect vision of heaven and what a beautiful church that would be if we could do that here. That even within our different cultures, yet maybe, maybe offering the offertory is a bluegrass group. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But the praise music was done by an African American gospel choir, mm -hmm. and then someone else did a, a. You know, the special music was was a contemporary Christian song. You know, or or a Chinese traditional. I mean, how beautiful! And all the food was Indian. Oh man, Indian food's good. <laughs> Oh man, Indian food's good. Yes, so good. it is. Um, yes, it is. Um, a, a yeah, and imagine that. Like, yeah, every week you had a different potluck of different foods. I mean, what a beautiful picture that would be. That to me is heaven. Yeah, and and just for for the listener, please don't become the the person that is like that will never happen. And don't be the person who after church said, "I did not like this. I can't believe this was here." Well, that really that was a buzzkill. Yeah. So so and and why is that? Because if you're already telling yourself this will never happen here, it the 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 change is already defeated. Mm. And if God is trying to to speak to your heart about wanting to be an agent of change, you can respectfully begin this process the way that God is leading you to. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has something he says about that when he talks about you know living in community, and he talks about how if we're, if we're if our idea of the church gets in the way of actually being the church, mm. that's deeply problematic. Yep. An idolatry of what we think the church should be gets that's in the it. way of what it is. He almost he almost has a line, which is not what he says, but this is my summary of it, where he's kind of like, just, you are already being the church. Shut up and be the church. You're, <laughs> this is actually, but again, I would say, especially I, because my life, like yours, is spent with young people. And the young people that I interact with a lot 
are freed of the moors of kind of their home church sometimes yeah, and then right. don't necessarily pick a church and be a grown-up member of that church and mm -hmm. be take responsibility for it and be the church and notice the diversity that's already there and choose to enjoy it right. um and 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 sh when you're uncomfortable and you don't like it just like wow that's neat that's a bit of something that I, just let it go enjoy it don't enjoy it notice it and then let it go and continue being the church like i didn't necessarily like that song or whatever yeah. or i didn't that 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 idea in that sermon didn't click with me but that's okay let it go you know right, don't right. fester on it right yeah. right right well, hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to us. We'd like to encourage you to, to engage in dialogue with people. Yeah, let's um, do it always. And I'm going to pray now. <laughs> do it. So, Lord, um, yes, that is our, our prayer, that you will help us be able to have these difficult conversations, that we'll be um, open to listen to what you're asking us to do, as difficult as it may seem. Change starts with us. And it starts with allowing you to come into our hearts and maybe change some of those ideas that we have, those ideals, those those um, those things that we, well, preconceived ideas that we would like to see. Just go ahead and chisel those into what you want them to be. So that way we will be fulfilling your calling on our lives. So thank you for choosing us and thank you for giving us the opportunity to be a light in our city. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, we want to hear from you. Diversityonthehill at gmail.com. Diversity with the C or Instagram as well. Sorry, PJ, you were saying. Grace and peace to you all. I am PJ and many blessings. No, I mean, I'm out. <laughs> and I'm PC. Have a great new year. And PK here. Till next time. Wait, where's the many blessings? You already gave it. No, you did. Oh, man, I didn't mean to steal it from you. Many blessings. <laughs>